Hi, I'm Mark Stalter, Director of Community Association Lending here at Itasca Bank and Trust Company. Even after 20 years, I wake up every day with the same goal, to make maintaining properties as stress-free as possible for property managers and board members of any size association. So whether you're a manager, board member, unit owner, vendor, or just someone curious about life inside a community association, join me as I sit down with guests from the field. Welcome to Community Association Insights. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of Community Association Insights. Uh, my name is Mark Stelter. I am the Director of Community Association Lending for Itasca Bank and Trust Company. And uh, we're going to uh, cover a very important topic today. Uh, I guess we can kind of call this one uh, new member, new board member orientation, or congratulations, you've been elected to the board, now what? Uh, so this is a uh, this is an experience that many unit owners uh, that I've talked to have gone through. Uh, you move into an association, uh, you kind of become familiar with some of your neighbors. They like you. Uh, they suggest maybe you should run for the board. And the next thing you know, not only are you on the board, but maybe you're the board president or one of the other officers on the board. And you're thinking, my gosh, I just moved into this association not that long ago, and now I'm in a leadership role. Uh, so it's always good to have some guidance, and I am fortunate today to have assembled a panel of experts that uh, they're going to help us walk through that. Uh, so I have Nikki Ledwell. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Nikki is a licensed uh, community association manager and a member of the CAI board. That is correct. And I have Steve Silverman with PBG Financial Services. Thank you. Also a member of the CAI Illinois board. Yes. And Omar Malik with Kovitz Schifrin Nesbitt. Everybody loves when we have the attorney that, uh, that shows up. <laughs> Welcome, Omar. We appreciate everybody being here. Um, one of the things I forgot to tell you before we uh, came on here is uh, let's learn a little bit about who you are. And uh, you can tell us as little or as much as you want about yourself. Omar, why don't we kind of start with you? Sure. So I'm a principal at COVID Schiffer Nesbitt. Uh, our firm specializes in representing condominium associations, townhome associations, all just our bread and butter is representing community associations. Um, so that's the primary practice. And through that, we interact with individuals like Mark, Steve, you know, Nikki. It's very important to have a team of professionals that you have good relationships with so you can help assist our clients, which, you know, sometimes we share yep. the same clients. So that's how we can provide the best service to our associations. Yeah, and KSN or Kovitz, Schiffer and Nesbitt, uh, Nesbitt uh, arguably, if not the largest, one of the largest law firms in the Chicagoland area that represents community associations. Yes, so we represent several thousand associations in and around Chicago. We actually just celebrated our 40th year anniversary nice. uh, a couple weeks ago, so we've been okay. in business for a long time, and, uh, and uh, yeah forward to many more years in business. We're doing our own celebration. We're celebrating our 75th anniversary, right. so uh, definitely good to be with a, a firm that's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Steve Silverman, give us a little background. Sure. Uh, well, I'm celebrating my 45th year of being involved with condominium, homeowners associations, townhomes, and cooperatives. Uh, I don't know where the 45 years went to, but it goes pretty <laughs> quickly all the time. Um, so as you said, I'm, I'm a partner with uh, PBG Financial Services, uh, and we present many different types of uh, things for associations. We do compilation reviews and audits. Uh, we do tax returns. 
Uh, we do all kinds of consulting work uh, for associations, and lately we've been doing a lot of reserve consulting, helping these associations ever since uh, the unfortunate accident in Florida happened. Uh, we're helping more associations now figure out how to fund these uh, common element uh, components that have to be repaired and replaced coming up in the near future. So we're doing a lot of that type of consulting work too. And we do some election tabulation services also. Yeah. So critical, especially especially since South Florida, but uh, yes. yeah, very critical work. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, so I'm Nikki Ledwell. For the last four years, I've managed as a portfolio manager. Prior to that, I worked on site, so I've done a little bit of both. And I am on the board for CAI. I'm also the chair for the Homeowners Education Committee. So this is very important to me. Good. And I am part of ILAC for CAI. Okay. I am a strong supporter of CAI and everything that it does. And um, ILAC, every time we do a uh, any kind of an acronym, we always like to define those. So what's oh, ILAC? So that is the Illinois Legislative Action Committee. Okay. So we help to try to change the verbiage and be part of the verbiage for the laws that are coming up that have to do with condominium associations or common interests. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, we appreciate everybody being here. Uh, and, and since we have two members of uh, CAI Illinois' board, uh, I do my usual plug uh, in the beginning for CAI, uh, and that is whether you're a self-managed association, uh, professionally managed association, look into CAI, consider joining CAI. Our first guest that we had on was actually Cheryl Murphy from the, the executive director from CAI, and we, we went into detail as to the benefits, um, CAI being the Community Associations Institute. It's a nationwide organization. Every state has a chapter. Illinois has uh, one of the premier chapters in the country. Uh, they win awards every year at, at the national convention. Uh, we have an amazing board, uh, committee members, uh, all that go into supporting CAI. Uh, so I just uh, strongly encourage you to look at it. The website is cai dash Illinois, all spelled out, dot org. Uh, take a look at the website. Um, you can go to um, uh, their website. You can go to our website and learn a little bit more about it. We have a podcast that uh, Cheryl talked about in detail. Uh, just learn more about it and, and uh, consider joining. So, uh, new board members. Uh, the, <clears throat> the scenario that I kind of laid out is really, I'm sure, something that everybody at this table has experienced, right? You've got a, a person you're talking to, and they're kind of explaining to you the fact that I just moved into this association, and the next thing I knew, everybody took one step back, and I was elected to the board. Um, and so if I'm that new board member, Omar, um, I guess in, in my opinion, what I would tell somebody is, I guess the first thing you want to know is, you know, what are my governing documents? What, what are the rules of the road as a board member? Because I guess I want to know what I'm allowed to do, what I'm not allowed to do, what's my responsibilities. So maybe walk us through what are the governing documents for a new board member to be aware of? Sure. So in the scenario you've described, this happens all the time. Doesn't it? Where, though, yeah. where an associate, an owner may be someone who's just frequently going to board meetings and all of a sudden they're volunteered to serve on the board. And their experience may be limited to attending those board meetings. So while they're an active member in the association, their role has really been as a unit owner as opposed to knowing what goes on behind the scenes. When you take a peek behind the curtain and the association may meet four times a year and this unit owner goes four times a year. Um, but as they will soon discover, there's a lot more work that goes in behind the scenes to then 
beyond those four meetings a year. So first and foremost, I would say that the association, the new board member, should take stock of the governing documents. So this can seem overwhelming because a lot of the documents are dense. Uh, maybe they look overly legalese with the terminology. But I'm, when I'm talking about the governing documents, I'm talking about either the Illinois Condominium Property Act, Common Interest Community Association Act, which we refer to as SECA, okay. uh, the Illinois Not-for-Profit Corporation Act, and then the declaration, the bylaws, and the rules and regulations. So Condominium Property Act obviously applies to condominium associations. Community is Common Interest Community Association Act is going to apply to certain associations that aren't condo associations. It could be a homeowners association. It could be a, a townhome <clears throat> owners association. Sure. And so the declaration is going to establish the rights and obligations of the unit owners and the restrictions on the property. So that's a document that's recorded at the county level um, and is available for each and every association. The bylaws are going to talk more so about the day-to-day -day operation of the property or how you manage the, the board, how the board is managed and the rights and obligations, how, when you hold an annual meeting, how much notice needs to be provided, that sort of thing. So it gets a little more granular. It gets a the little further bit more down granular. you get into your specific. Correct. You know, so the the condo act is going to cover everybody in the state. Correct. Declaration is going to be for that particular more specific property. And then what gets confusing is, or perhaps overwhelming at times, is that you have so many different documents to process. Right. And which one overrules the other, that sort of thing. Yeah, and maybe get a, let us know, what, how does that work in terms of order of authority? So the order of authority can get a little bit tricky, but generally speaking, we're talking Illinois Condominium Property Act and the, de and the Declaration. Okay. Um, those two, sometimes, you know, those are the two primary orders, right? Then you need to layer on top of that that sometimes there's case law. Uh -huh. uh, sometimes yeah. there's rules and regulations that if they conflict with what's in the Declaration, which one controls? Right. And oftentimes it's going to be the declaration. Um, so in speaking of rules and regulations, so the rules and regulations really, I like to say it's a living, breathing document that evolves over time. Right. right? So you have your declaration that's recorded, and then you have the rules and regulations that more deal with the day-to-day -day operation of the property and kind of fill in the gaps. Okay. So um, rules and regulations can be modified over time. It's much easier to modify How that. many pets can I have? How many pets can you have? Uh, can you leave your garbage containers out? Uh, you know, can you put them out just the night before when right. you have to retrieve them? Right. What sort of, uh, can you have a basketball hoop in your driveway? That sort of thing. Um, and those can be modified. That's a decision of the board, right? right. So to right. modify or to implement new rules and regulations, that's something that the board can do by a majority vote. Whereas modifying the declaration or the bylaws, generally speaking, is going to require a vote of the entire ownership. So it's a long-winded way of uh, giving you an answer to your question about right. some of the governing documents. So I think the first step would be familiarize yourself with those. Not necessarily memorize each and every one of them, but just flip through them, page through them, understand that they're out there, and then you reach out to your, your team of professionals. So right. your job as a board member is not to know those. You, right. can, you can reach out to me as your attorney or, or whoever your attorney is and ask for assistance with those documents. Yeah, and, and that's what can be overwhelming because I, I think a lot of unit owners who get elected to the board um, kind of feel that sense of, and I think you put it you know, really well there with, you don't have to be the expert. You just need to know who to go to uh, in order to get the questions answered. 
and um, whether it's legal or financial right. or you know from a management perspective. Uh, I, but I think the lawyer is probably the first person you, you would want to contact, if nothing else, just to get that initial uh, framework for you know what do I need to know first with regard to the, the governing. Absolutely. And, and no one should feel as though they listen to this podcast or they listen to some of the material that you see available online, whether it's through our firm or otherwise, and that you're an expert. Right. And you're, you're immediately you can report back to your board members. There's a reason that you, I, I keep saying the, the phrase, you know, assemble a team because right. you can lean on right. me for the legal component, Steve for the financial component, Nikki for the management component. So I think that's really important to know what's out there. So a lot of new boards we like to offer a board member orientation where we right. sit down and it can be Zoom, it can be telephonic, in person, and we run through, hey, welcome to the board. Here's what you can expect in that role. Here's some practice tips that we can use to make your life easier. And so we, we do offer that to a lot of our clients. A lot of our clients also don't understand or, or know what services are out there, what we can provide for them. So sure. their, their interaction to us, or excuse me, their um, exposure to us may be limited to seeing us at a board meeting, but they don't know that we can review your contracts. Right. We can, you know, work with you on amendments to your governing documents. We have a, a landlord tenant department. We have collection work that we do. We can help you appeal your taxes. So just knowing that those services are available is, I think, also um, something that would serve you well in your capacity as a board member. We had, uh, we, we did a podcast on the legal, just, just the legal side of it. it. We had uh, Carrie Bartell okay. and Dave Bloomberg that uh, came out and sat with us, and that was actually a, a terrific uh, discussion we had. And, and they talked exactly down, you know, kind of that hallway of, um, you know, assemble that team, but understand what your attorney can do for you. Because a lot of, you know, being a volunteer on a board um, is, is not something where they're going to expect you to understand the law. They're going to expect you to be able to contact the attorney and know what questions to ask, you know, should those come up. And I think you used the key word right there, volunteer. At the end of the day, whether you, you know, ran for the board actively or you were appointed, you're a volunteer at the end of the day. So, you know, that's lean on those around you to assist you in those day-to-day -day activities Don't, in your yeah. operation as a board member. Don't put all the pressure on exactly. yourself. And, and actually, the managers, uh, and, and again, we had a podcast, you know, talking about management. Um, you know, uh, we had Simon Fox on and Carrie Surratt uh, from Associa, uh, and, and that discussion kind of revolved around what's the benefits of professional management. And, and what I kind of pointed out during that discussion was the managers, if, you know, if you think about a wheel with spokes, the managers... They tend to be the center of that. Mm -hmm. And everybody else in the industry works off of the managers. And when it comes to uh, a new board member understanding, um, you know, who do I need to be in contact with, um, retaining professional management will get you to the attorney that you need to or get you to the financial professional or the banker, whoever it might be. And, and you really kind of run the entire industry because you know everybody. Right. And I would say that when it comes to being a new board member, knowing where to get your resources. Because with a management company, you are able to go to your manage, your manager. If you're self-managed, then you also want to know where to get those resources, where you get that information. And agree, you don't have to memorize the law or memorize your governing documents. But I also think it's important as a board member to use your resources to know what that role what that role means. So if you are 
put as the president, what does that mean? What are your responsibilities? And you can go to the attorney, you can go to the manager, or you can go to the CAI website, or there's YouTube podcast or right. your podcast that will say, as the secretary, this is what your role is. This is what your role is as the president. So I think it's important to know that when you're elected. Um, and you're not, I don't think, well, yeah, you're not meant to know everything word for word, but I do want to question new board members to make sure they understand what it also means to be on the board. Because sometimes it is, well, we'll come to the board meetings. And it does entail a little bit more than that and making sure you know what you can do and what you cannot do. So I feel like with a new board member, what I'd like to recommend is knowledge is power. Right. And here are your resources. Here's where we will find that information. Yeah, and, and we often uh, talk about fiduciary duty uh, when it comes to board members. And I, and I think that kind of ties into what Nikki was just saying. And that is, you know, once you're elected, even though you're a volunteer, you do have certain fiduciary responsibilities that are incumbent upon you. And uh, some of these associations can have budgets that, you know, swell into the tens or hundreds of thousands, even, you know, seven figures uh, flowing through on an annual basis. Um, you know, so from the financial perspective, I would think that's just as important. Oh, yeah, uh, that's so true. I, I think what a lot of these board members, when they get on, they said, well, there's a treasurer. The treasurer's taking care of all the financial uh, activity. But I, I think every board member should understand they have a fiduciary responsibility over the financial information. And they have a fiduciary responsibility over safeguarding uh, the financial information. Right. So uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's Even though the treasurer takes the lead on so many things, uh, the rest of the board still has to understand uh, that there is a plan for the current year, which is your budget. They have to understand that you need a plan for the future, which is your reserve studies. And they have to understand the financial information in order to properly manage their association. And that is an issue that we find so, so many times when we'll get calls. Um, we've even got a calls when we have actually uh, done a compilation review or an audit for an association. I get a call from someone who says, your financial informations are all wrong. It doesn't agree with what our management company did. And so then we have to start explaining to them, well, you didn't get the, our financial report just because your, your bank required it for a loan. I mean, the reason you got it is to get a better understanding of what your true financial position is. And, you know, when we do our financial reports, they're on a gap basis, which is generally accepted accounting principles. And what that means is you have to have a balance sheet, an income statement, you have to have a cash flow statement, and the most important thing, you have to have footnote disclosures. Right. And so that all that information helps every single member on the board have a better understanding of what's going on with their association. So, so the balance sheet's going to list uh, assets, liabilities? Correct. Um, and their equity. And, and the equity is what their fin true financial position is. Right. And so if you're getting like a cash basis statement or a, a modified cash, which many management companies do, that just shows your income when it's received and your expenses when they're paid. Right. Or it could be showing your income when it's billed or earned and your expenses when they're paid. But when you get a financial gap financial statement from a CPA firm, it shows your income when it's billed or earned and your expenses that are incurred. 
And so until you get this statement, you have no idea what your true financial position of your association is. And that's so, so key for every single member of the board to understand because you're all part of the budget process. You're all part of deciding what the association's gonna do now and in the future. So, uh, you know, we, we work with associations of all sizes. We, um, we kind of found a niche that was uh, either unserved or underserved uh, in the market. Uh, a lot of my competitors will stop lending somewhere in that 25 to 30 unit range, um, and then everybody below that is kind of left on their own. So we, we went into that market and said, well, we'll serve uh, community associations down to six units, um, you know, because they need repairs too. Uh, the loans aren't as big, and it might not be as attractive to, you know, to some of the lenders that are out there. But, you know, those are still markets uh, that are needed. And those associations are literally all throughout the Chicagoland area. I mean, Chicago is, is, has a rich history of development. Uh, you know, the further west, northwest, southwest that you go, uh, you can see the progression of, of buildings. Um, but there's plenty of associations out there that are smaller. So when, when I'm a 15-unit association or a 50-unit association or a 150-unit, as I progress to that larger amount, my financial obligations or at least my reporting probably changes a little bit. Well, uh, first of all, um, there's the condo law that came into effect uh, in January 1st, 2018. So any association over 100 units now has to have a gap financial statement. And there's still so many associations out there that are over 100, I'm sure Nikki sees this too, that they don't understand that this law They're went into effect. probably not even aware of it. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, that is a huge, huge issue. Sure. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the first key things. If you're over 100 units, you need one of those, okay? And what usually happens with associations that are smaller, like you said, 15 or 20, they hire a CPA from just to do a tax return. They don't want to spend money on us. They right. think that we're worthless, uh, that they really don't need somebody. They think they can pretty much, if it's yourself self-managed, they can pretty much do everything on their own right. for the most part. When they have a management company, then all of a sudden they find out, oh my gosh, there are so many things that we didn't realize. And like you were saying, being able to hook you up with all the prior, proper team members to go forward is huge. And I want to touch base is that if you use a management company and you have a manager assigned to your association, to remember that that manager is also just another resource. That when it comes down to making the decisions, what I do is I pr present to you the information. Here's the information on the bank loans. Here's the information for your audit. Here's the information on proposals from attorneys. When it comes down to making that decision, that is a board decision. And all of the decisions are actually made by the board. So I don't want to scare anyone away from being a board member, but a board member has a lot of obligations and they are the decision makers. So I don't want to scare anyone away from that, but make sure you do educate yourself because it's the governing documents, but also your insurance policy. If you do say the wrong thing in an open meeting, what would cover the association and what will not cover the association. Right. So the manager's a resource, but when it comes down to it, the board is the one that will be making all of the decisions. We can only recommend that you have more in-depth research of your financials, but we can't say you have to do it. And, yeah, and 
when we when we work with associations as it come as it relates to professional management, if if they don't want to have professional management, what uh, the requirement that we have is they join CAI. They have to join yeah. CAI as a self-managed association so that they do start to pick up some of those resources that are there. And our hope is that they get exposed to people like you, where it's okay. You don't have professional management. Um, but, you know, let me, and you could probably rattle off a dozen questions. Let me ask you, you know, some questions as to how your uh, association is currently being operated. And as you go through those, whether it's the financials or who's your attorney or what's your collection policy, and, um, you know, there, there's just so many, uh, so many items that a manager brings to the table. And what I, I think a lot of unit owners or board members might not understand is, you know, you have a degree, you have a degree, but your manager also licensed, um, bonded, insured, continuing education, you know, current on, um, on all that is going on in the industry as it relates to management and not just somebody who, you know, decided, you know, one day, I, gee, I think I want to go into community management. There's so much more that goes into it. Agreed. And there's different designations that you can obtain to help you become more familiar. But part of our additional education as a manager is also staying current on any laws that are updated because it feels like each year there are updates to SICA or to the Condo Association Act that we have to be familiar with. And as a manager, I have to help you stay within those lines, but I can't force you to right. stay within those lines. Right, and that, that's an important uh, distinction because it, it's the whole, um, you know, leading a horse to water and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you can't force somebody to drink. So, and, and we really haven't talked a lot about case law on the podcast yet, but you had kind of touched on that. And that, that's really just as important because that's where, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds with, with case law, but there's been some significant case law that has come out of the state of Illinois and, uh, and really other states uh, as well. Uh, not the least of which was the Palm case, which related directly uh, to, you know, how boards conduct their meetings. Right. Um, but, you know, some of that case law, so that doesn't fold immediately into the Condo Act. That sits separate, correct? Correct. Uh, from so that, so that sits separate. So uh, part of what we do as, as legal counsel for associations is we track not only cases that we think are going to be impactful to the associations that we represent, but also changes, as Nikki alluded to, to the Condo Act or to SICA. Um, and at any period, like currently, there are several changes that we're tracking as they progress through the legislature. Right. And we will publish January 1st or July 1st, depending on the session, when those are adopted or if they're adopted, we will publish updates to our clients because they can be serious changes. For example, Steve, when he's referring to needing to have gap financial accounting, I mean, that's something that our clients need to be aware of. Right. And, um, and it's a change from what they were doing previously. So you have that, and with respect to the case law, um, one of the primary cases is Palm. And I think going circling back to your initial topic of your new board member, what can you do? I think one thing that's important to talk about is what can you talk about in an open board meeting and what can't yeah. you talk about in an open board meeting? Right, um, right. You know, when can we get together as a group and is that officially a board meeting? Right. And when is that proper? So um, I think it used to be pretty commonplace for a board to uh, have a uh, quote-unquote workshop uh, and where yeah. all the work got done 
uh, at the workshop, and then you know they would come together, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I make a motion that we pass a four million dollar special assessment to get the roofs done. All in favor say aye, and and the unit owners are going, wait a minute, you know when did this all get right. discussed? Well, it was at the is at the workshop. So the workshop concept is that's the exact word that people would use all the time. And that has gone to the wayside. So right now, there's in Section 18 of the Condo Act, it specifically will outline the six exceptions, um, which boards can discuss outside of the context of a noticed board meeting. So outside of an open board meeting, and I, I won't go through all six of, or all six of them. I think it's Section 18.9 okay. of the Condo Act. But that's key for a new board member, right? Absolutely key. Because it, it, it can, it's easy to get very casual in terms of interactions with other board members. Absolutely. And, and if you have a unit owner who understands the Condo Act better than you, or they uh, have an attorney that's either a friend or a relative that they can rely on, that can really, I, I've seen uh, and, and received calls from people that saying, I'm in the, you know, we're in the midst of litigation because of incidents just like this. Absolutely. And, and it can be something as simple as it can come from the right place where Mark and I are riding the elevator together and you know we're good friends and we're neighbors and all of a sudden we start talking about uh, active litigation or hiring and firing of a contractor or something like that or, or something more substantive, right? right. So those right. are the two things I just discussed and I'll run through some of the exceptions. Those are permitted to be discussed outside of an open board meeting. But if you're going to talk about items that truly should be discussed in a board meeting, it could be Mark and I, two of the three board members who are just friends and neighbors. Now you have a majority of the board. And right? we're a majority of the board, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're just sitting having coffee together. Right. But technically, that could yeah. be construed as a board meeting and improper yeah. for us to talk about certain topics. So the six, I won't go through all six, but a couple of examples of what you can discuss outside of the context of an open board meeting are um, pending litigation, okay. rules violations, um, hiring and firing of contractors, consulting with an attorney, which is a big one. And I just saw um, an article about this recently. You know, some owners say, well, just by copying the attorney on, on an email, is that our way of, of getting too, yeah. out? I think that was Dave Bendoff from our yep. firm. Is that yep. a way of getting around this exception so that we can kind of conduct business? And uh, the, the answer is more nuanced. Generally, it's no. You can't just CC the attorney right. and use that as the workaround. You need to be actively engaging with the attorney. So right. going back to your question, I think it's just important to know what you can and can't do. And whenever you have a question, the simplest answer is whenever you have a question, just reach out to your attorney. Hey, can we discuss this? Or is this something we need to wait for our next quarterly board meeting or our next open board meeting? Mm -hmm. and, and so when I'm, uh, when I'm a, a new board member and I'm thinking about who should be in control of the funds for my association, are you counseling any board members? Are, they, are there questions in terms of uh, who should be in charge of my operating funds and maybe who should be in charge of my uh, reserve funds? Um, yeah, that's a question that comes up all the time, and over the years we've had many issues with this. Um, uh, the real key is regarding the reserve funds, uh, because the uh, board should have total control over those reserve funds. And too many times we've seen that they're not even signers on the reserve account. Um, it could be just uh, the actual management company that has signers on that account. Um, so we've seen many issues on that. So that it really is one of the key things is... Uh, when you get on the board, you want to find out both on your operating and your reserve account who are the signers on these, these different accounts because um, that's, that's a real key thing. The other thing I always, always recommend, too, is take a look when you get on the board. Do you have an investment policy? 
because uh, that's another huge issue where I've seen when somebody gets on the board and all of a sudden um, they're upset and uh, things are getting invested in the things that aren't uh, fully uh, guaranteed. Sure. And so um, uh, if you have an actual investment policy, at least you have something in writing that the board agreed upon, the new board member coming in can look at it and say, okay, that's why we have these type of investments. And you, again, we, you have to find out if you're doing like certificates of deposit, you have to f have, have it listed somewhere. Who are the signers on the? There's so many times, and I think you've seen this, Mark, too, when you get a new board member and nobody on the board is a signer on that CD. And then we're coming in to do an audit and we need to get confirmation on that. Yeah. And, and you're saying, well, none of you are signers on that account. So That's what we call the manager. <laughs> the manager says, um, let's call the attorney. <laughs> we, we always, the, the manager always seems to be, uh, again, in the center of it all because, you know, you if it's a manager that's been with the property for a while, um, you're the one who's going to be familiar with, uh, okay, that signer's gone because that person's left the board or, or you know, here's right. the, new, the new signers and we can usually get the meeting minutes from the managers. Um but a lot of times there's self-managed associations that um, get new board members on and they, they kind of look around and they wonder why, why don't we have professional management and maybe kind of walk us through the, the benefits of being professionally managed versus somebody who, who might want to continue to stay self-managed. Sure. So one of the benefits, as you noted to earlier, is that we do have to take continuing education classes. We have to stay current on what is happening in the industry. When a board manages a community or yourself managed, you have to make sure you have that responsible party that's going to stay up on all of the changes because every year there is something new. And even if it's not a law change, there's going to be something that is new in the industry. For instance, when FHA questionnaires or conventional loan questionnaires changed. If you don't have someone who's familiar, you're not going to know what they're looking for. And with a management company, that manager is licensed and they are going to take those continuing education classes. We are going to be familiar or we're going to have those resources to recommend to you, this is who we should talk to, here's who will have the answer for us. Uh, they're also more well-versed in what it is that you should do as a new board member because we've seen it before. We've seen what it looks like when that person is nominated from the audience who moved in two weeks ago. But we've also seen the board members that have been on there for 20 years and have done things the same way as they've always done them. Sometimes we refer to it as the elevator lot, right? So it changed. You okay, can't meet right. everyone on the elevator and push all the buttons right. to have those discussions. So. Even if you feel like, okay, well, I've been on the board for 20 years, we don't need a management company. I understand that because you're looking at finances, but who's going to make sure you're protecting yourself? Because you will also have that homeowner or that new homeowner that is going to be checking you to make sure you're versed on every change, or they're going to record you and send it to their attorney, right. and there goes the lawsuit against you. Yep. So the manager is at least there. We can't make the decisions for you, but we can guide you. We can tell you what it is we've learned, and we can show you the resources to help us get to that next level to protect you and the association. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And Okay, so new board member, I know who my attorney is. 
I know who my uh, you know financial advisor, CPA, accountant um, is for the association. Uh, I've retained professional management, so I've, I've kind of started to build uh, that team. Um, so once I'm familiar with my governing documents, uh, I, I now uh, have, and, and if I'm self-managed, I take a lot of this on myself. If I'm professionally managed, I'm relying on the manager. But I hear a lot of discussion about 22.1 and what I need to uh, disclose to a potential unit owner coming in or a potential buyer uh, coming into the association. And that seems to be a real hot topic these days as to what I need to disclose. Um, can we kind of go through a little bit about what's on that list? You want to go first? Yes, yeah, so we can We can certainly talk about that. And this, you're right, this is a hot topic right now. And it can get a board into hot water if they don't accurately disclose, disclose information because the 22.1 disclosure is provided to the seller who then provides it to the incoming purchaser of the unit. So if there's information that's omitted, that materially could impact their purchase decision, right? So, so, so the point of 22.1 is educated buyer, right? Ed, educated right. buyer, okay. educated buyer. And this isn't specifically in the 22. Well, one of the questions in the 22.1 disclosure is, you know, basically send us a copy of the governing document. So I'm dealing with an issue right now for an association we represent where an incoming purchaser bought the unit and they didn't realize, because they didn't review the declaration, that there was a requirement that the unit be owner-occupied. Mm, and right, so right. the the resident, the occupant of the unit, is the owner's daughter. And we're saying, hey, you know, according to the declaration, you can either add your daughter to the deed or you need to fix this, basically. Right, right. And they were like, well, we didn't realize this when we bought the unit. So in this scenario, they spent several hundred thousand dollars on a unit under the false pretense that they thought their daughter could live in the unit. So that's just one example. Sure. And that's, that could be a couple hundred thousand dollar issue. And there. that happens so often. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and these documents, they're recorded, right? right? So you can get them through the seller. Right. Or you can look them up yourself, theoretically. Obviously, it's easier to get sure. through your attorney. But your attorney as the incoming buyer, should be reviewing these documents. That's their job. It's not necessarily your job as the purchaser, right. but all of these restrictions are set forth in those documents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, another key thing is on the financial information, because now more than ever, um, I have people calling me up right off the bat and saying, okay, I'm going to be buying into this association. Steve, I'm really worried. You know, I've heard all these horror stories, the things going on, and so the first thing I said, let's see a financial statement and let's see if there was a reserve study done right. uh, because that's been one of the key things. And does the association have a loan? Is there a special assessment going now? And if we can look at that reserve study. And, and what does the reserve study tell us? Well, the reserve study is a, a tool uh, for a plan for the future. And it's just an estimate. It's a guide. But it kind of tells you what projects um, are coming up that have to be done of the common elements. Um, any major repairs or replacements of those. Okay. Um, it gives uh, an estimated cost of those, and it kind of gives you um, an outline of cash flow um, that you're going to need in order to be able to do these common element major repairs and replacement. Um, and then what happens is, uh, before somebody uh, buys a unit, the first thing I want to do is look at that financial report. Number one, as we told you, if they have a gapped financial statement, 
Um, there's going to be footnote disclosures. It'll tell right in there, have they done a reserve study, number one? Right. And so often when I look at those things, I see the last reserve study they did it was like 2013. <laughs> well, yeah. you can throw that out because that doesn't mean anything. Sure. So that would be one of the, the first clues. I also take a look at their, their, where, what the reserve cash is, and then I look at their reserve study if they have one, and um, then we try to see, well, based upon the cash they have and what projects are coming up, I, you need to ask more questions here because I think that there could be some severe issues coming up um, that you need to get more information on. And, and that's where the manager really comes in, yep. you know, because, again, self-managed associations, uh, what I've seen, and, and I've seen some very well-run properties uh, that are self-managed. I don't want to take away, and I've said this Absolutely. before on other podcasts. There's board members that are very engaged. Um, you know, they they get educated. They, they understand the process. But I've seen more so self-managed associations that really need the help of a manager, and the manager is going to be the one who's going to be able to drive them to that reserve study. Um, and, and really understand what are my common elements to begin with. Correct. And I want to say CAI has a few different classes that lead up to a dedicated community association leader. And when you have board members that invest their time to take these classes, to learn about their governing documents, to learn their financials, to learn what the insurance means, they're able to be self-managed because someone is educating themselves and someone is staying on top of it. So it's not that I'm saying even as a manager that self-manage is wrong. Right. I'm saying someone has to be willing to be educated, to have that knowledge, to have that background. Um, he was talking about the 22.1, which can be scary, but also so can that lending questionnaire. And that lending questionnaire could be the one thing that gets you in trouble. Mm -hmm. With a reserve study, you want to try to have them every five years, and it will show you an estimate of when those projects should be done. But now we have to release those to the unit owners, and we have to release them for everyone to see. So, it, again, it's having that knowledge of what you're supposed to do. When right. you have a manager, they have to stay up on their continuing education credits. But when you're self-managed, someone has to be willing to take those homeowner education classes to know how to properly read your financials, to know how to read your governing documents. Someone has to be willing to educate themselves and stay up on any changes. Yeah, and just one other thing. So I, I know you said five years on the studies. Now I'm going to people saying they should do it, um, an update them at least every three years yeah. okay. because costs have changed so much yeah. that I've seen studies from four years ago or five years ago, and the estimated cost from what's on there is so much different than what it is now. Sure. And the timing of projects changed because the reserve study is just an estimate. So that's the other reason I always want to see one that's, that's more like two to three years. And... The other problem that I'm sure you see, Nikki, is um, the board should be reviewing the study every single year when they're doing their budget process. Yep. Um, that's another thing that they need to look at to see where are we at with this, what do we need to do to go forward. There's been a lot of talk about the reserve studies, and from what I see in, in my seat, a lot of associations that we represent don't have the reserve studies. Right. So Steve's talking about two to three years. Right. I mean. I think it's usually never great had when, one completed. when right. I do see yeah. one from yeah. five years ago. I'm like, this is great. So this is this is news to me. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's really important to have that on file. And to be honest with you, it oftentimes comes down to cost. 
right? Okay. Where the board's like, well, we don't want to spend the money on this. It doesn't actually complete any projects for us. It may give us a outline of the projects that are coming down the pipeline and when we should complete those, but why should we spend all this money on that right now? We're good about doing maintenance, right. that sort of thing. So even apps in a reserve study, going back to the 22.1 disclosure, one of the items in the 22.1 disclosure is you're supposed to disclose uh, anticipated projects in the current or next succeeding two years. So because if I'm an owner, I don't want to purchase yep. a unit and then a couple months later, surprise, hey, that right. special assessment's coming yeah. down. We have to do a complete roof tear off, something like that. So I need to have a picture of what the association is looking at in the next couple of years, because that's going to affect my investment. Because there could be legal issues then, because they didn't have this Absolutely. plan, and all of a sudden you're hitting these unit owners with a special, a assessment. special assessment. And there's always going to be some unit owner that could say, hold everything. You, you didn't do your proper due diligence Correct. as a board member. Correct. And I would say, too, is that let's say you are a new board member, right? Let's say you're someone who has picked from the audience or you volunteered to be part of the election. That reserve study should be one of your go-to items. So you know the financial estimated situation of the community. So you know what projects are estimated to come up within the next couple of years. That I would say is also another go-to document. Yep. And if you don't have one, now is your time as a new board member to say, why do we not have one and we need to get one? Yeah, because you're really, you're, you're really trying to reconcile as a new board member um, what does my balance sheet tell me I have in terms of cash? Because that's really the primary asset that an association has is cash, right? Correct. I mean, that's it. And then, uh, you know, if we're working with a reserve study, if, if I have X amount of dollars in my reserve study and my, uh, or in my uh, reserve fund and my reserve study is telling me I need X times five, yeah. uh, in, you know, in the next five years, six years, that really goes into the, the budget planning process. Yep. And again, when I talk to self-managed associations, it's like, this is what your manager is going to be able to do for you. Yep. They, they study and they go through the training for, if nothing else, uh, the budgetary process. Yes. And it, that is a big part of your community because that's when you're going to be deciding how much you're raising your assessment amounts. And I've seen before that self-managed associations will do well the rate of inflation is normally 2.3 percent so we're going to increase our assessments by 2.3 percent well we know over the last year two years that was not the inflation rate right. so it's knowing how to get the information to bring your budget together because it's not something as easy as let's just increase everything by the rate of inflation or what we think it will be. Right. Um, and a manager can walk you through that they can show you what documents to bring together to be able to create that budget, to be able to justify when you send it out to the unit owners how we got this information. Because in Illinois, the homeowners have to have it in their hands to review before you can approve it. Mm -hmm. So you want to justify because That's they're going point. to say, why is it going up 10%? Why is it going up 5%? Right. Well, you need to say, I pulled it from this document, which you are legally able to have access to. I pulled it from this document and this document. As with most of our podcasts, the time goes pretty quick. So I want to give you guys a chance to kind of um, talk about if there's something that we didn't cover that you tend to talk about with new board members. Um, is there something on your list that uh, we I didn't I think we covered through? a lot of the topics, but I would just encourage 
get to know your professionals around you. There's no harm in picking up the phone or emailing Nikki, Steve, myself, and just saying, hey, what do we need to know? I'm new to the board. Can we set up, schedule a call? Can we schedule a meeting? And oftentimes, I'd say we're always happy to do that, you know, because when you have an educated board, um, it makes our lives easier. And sure. they know when to reach out to their appropriate professionals, when they can lean on us for assistance. It, it ultimately translates to making not only the association run more efficiently, right. it helps us be able to do our job. And, and at the end of the day, it's all about operating in the best interest of the association. So I think if you reach out to us, uh, we're more than happy to provide education. And, you know, that's part of our role is to serve as a, um, you know, as an educational resource, not just one time. You right. know, it's not just this one time you pick up the phone, talk to me once a year. It's oftentimes that we build really great relationships with our board members because we're talking to them frequently right. because issues yeah. come up over time. And it helps when you know or, or have spoken to the attorney before. You're not afraid to reach out to them when an issue comes up. And ultimately, like I said, that translates to, um, you know, the association running more smoothly. And, and as kind of a plug for COVID, you had kind of mentioned Dave Bendoff does, he puts an article in the Daily Herald, I yep. believe, right? Correct. He has a, then, he's a regular article so in the Daily Herald. That's, that's a, a source for unit owners to go to if, if they're looking for, uh, and I think it's kind of in a question for a question answer format. Um, yes, it's a question answer uh, yeah. format for questions that are submitted to them. And then um, to continue with the plug, you know, our KSN website has educational resources available. A lot of available. white papers, you know, just Papers, about, articles, yeah. um, you know, you can see upcoming podcasts or upcoming seminars that we're giving that a lot of our board members and management companies will tune into. Um, so there's resources that are available out there if you, you know, seek questions and want to continue to learn uh, more about the field. Any topics we missed on the financial side? Um, well, one of the key things I think we kind of talked about quite a bit is having an active board is such a key thing for any association and somebody coming in to a board. Um, the rest of the board has to make sure that they're welcoming to that person, that there's great communication between all the board members. Uh, such a key thing in order to have a successful um, association. Uh, two other things we didn't talk about that happens a lot, and I think it happens with you too, Mark, is I still have associations calling me up that have never filed a tax return before. <laughs> so I, I get it from the legal counsel. I get it yeah. from, uh, we, we've from, touched from on you that as, too. as it, banks. It is so amazing how many have never that's, filed a tax return. Or uh, they haven't filed their annual reports. Right. I mean, it's another really key thing. So I think as you come onto the board, start looking at those things. And the other part, uh, again, we talked about how everyone on the board should understand the financial information. Look at that monthly financial packet that yeah. you're getting uh, from if you're with a management company or if you're not getting one as a self-manager, you should ask for it to get some financial information because there's so many key things that everyone should know and understand that's all part of that monthly financial packet so that you can run your association successfully. And that's not just the board members, right? That's the unit Absolutely. Owners. If you're a unit owner, yeah. you need to be asking questions. You need to be understand. It's your money that is going through the uh, association's accounts, uh, and, and you need to understand where your money is going and, and that the board is accountable uh, to you as well. Any topics uh, you think we missed? Um, I would say that whether you are self-managed or you are with a management company, education and knowledge are going to be power. Whether you go and listen to the KSN uh, podcast, which <clears throat> Sorry, I have found extremely informational in 
entertaining at times. You can also go to YouTube and we have the how to deal with the angry homeowner or um, the dog that is too close to your patio all the time. And CEI has cheat sheets. We have this is what the role entails. Here's the three duties of a board member. We have classes coming up. We have board leader workshops that say even if you're not on the board but you may want to, here's the information you should know. Or even as a homeowner that lives in an association, come to the classes to learn so you know what to ask your board because you need to be looking for those red flags, whether it be in your financials or what your association is not providing. In order to know what you need to look for, you have to have that power of knowledge. Got to have, and that's so, that's so key, you're right. Knowledge uh, is definitely power um, uh, to understand that. And CAI um, just has such a wealth of uh, information and there's, there's events that go on all throughout the year, right? I mean, yeah. whether in person or... Uh, and they have YouTube uh, uh, also. A lot of our classes are on YouTube, so yeah. anyone can go to look so at right Community Association Institute yeah. Illinois and you'll see all of these um, uh, seminars that are on YouTube. And we try to work with all learning styles. So we have virtual classes that take place usually once a month. We have Q&As that take place in person. We have the recordings you have on the LMS, the CAI website. You right. can take self-study. So we really try to cater to everyone's learning style. So everyone has that ability to learn and have that knowledge and be able to grow from it. You had touched on communication, and that was one of the things I wanted to kind of make sure we, we covered before we uh, finished up. And, and in, in a world that seems to have grown a bit more uh, impatient with each other, I guess would be the soft way to say it, um, I think it's so important to, um, to have as a skill for any board member the ability to – you don't have to be – a professional speaker, uh, or a public speaker, but you you do need to be able to communicate your position in such a way that um, it doesn't come across as hostile or, uh, or I'm not listening to you. You know, this is the way it's going to be done. Um, you know, the the I think there was that book years ago that said everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. And and it, you know, there's so much about that in terms of just being kind to each other, being patient with each other. And and I think um, having the ability to listen uh, that was one of the things that uh, we talked about on a previous podcast. There's a lot of talking. There's not a lot of listening. And and if we're sitting on the board of an association, I need to understand what, what Omar is saying before I can really respond to it. I need to understand what, what your concerns are. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of that is missing today um, in board member and unit owner interaction. Absolutely. And, and I think even more so today we're seeing that. Yeah. And so... Just because you have a three-member board, for example, that doesn't mean that you all have to be lockstep in how you vote on certain things. It's, it's, it's nice when you have you know, discussion and, and a difference of opinion amongst the board. But at the end of the day, I just prefer for those interactions to be professional. Listen to what your fellow board members have to say. Again, their perspective may be different than yours, but listen, process, and engage in a you know, professional dialogue, and ultimately you'll, you'll vote at the end of the day. I think listening is absolutely key. Keep things professional. Everyone's a volunteer. It's helpful to have different perspectives. Let's respect one another, have a professional discussion, and make a decision from there. Yeah, yeah I, I just think that's so key. Uh, and, and the manager can be the one to kind of uh, keep things in focus. Um, 
let the unit owners know when it's their time to speak. Uh, let the board members know what they need to be communicating to the uh, to the unit owners, and and, and really just kind of keep the wheel moving in that in that same direction. Uh, so uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, this has been uh, incredibly uh, beneficial and informative. Uh, let's find out how people can get a hold of you. Um, yep. So let us. So you, if you go on the COVID Triffer Nesbit website, we have our contact information there, whether it's it's my contact information and email or our, our general main line, and we have plenty of resources available for whether you're an owner, a uh, board member, or management company. So uh, COVIDTrifferNesbit.com is uh, the best way to get in touch with us. That's a great website because you got pictures of all the attorneys out there. <laughs> <laughs> I like the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and great podcasts as well. Our uh, website is PBGLTD.com. Um, so you'll see our pictures of all of our uh, uh, people that work at our firm on our website. And um, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, it's uh, S. Silberman at pbgltd.com. And um, uh, please feel free to come out and uh, contact me if you'd like to. Very good. And I know you're on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn. And you can also reach me through a CAI class for homeowners education online. Oh, nice. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for being here today. And uh, if you want to reach out to any of our guests on this podcast or any of the others, all their uh, contact information is usually at the end of the podcast. Uh, feel free to reach out, get some more information. Um, and uh, if you're a new board member, good luck. Uh, yes. Take this information and uh, do your best and you just know that you have a support team around you and you're not in it alone. Thanks for watching, everybody.